All right, page 11. We'll get to that in just a moment. You need notes. Does anybody anybody not have notes that needs them? All right, we'll get to page 11 there in just a moment. A reminder of some things that are coming up. This Saturday is our annual Hayride and Bonfire. And the location for that is at the Mises Place in New Boston. We have maps for that up at the uh, Information Center desk. starts at 5 o'clock. So we hope you can all come. We always have a great time. They have a great place there to have it. Hayride and Bonfire this Saturday at 5. And then uh, then uh, two weeks from Saturday, no, a week from Saturday, is the uh, Enchanted Trails of Trick or Treat. And that also starts at 5 o'clock Saturday. That will be here. And uh, most of you know how that goes, but uh, there is a flyer and an invitation for it that is on the Information Center desk that gives you the details. But it's a great time for the little ones, and it's a non-scary time. We purposely go out our way to not scare the kids, even though it's a Halloween uh, event. And then in November, there are some events for you to know about. One is that uh, we have on the 6th our Servants' Seminar. That will be 4.30 to 8 o'clock. That's a Sunday evening. And I'm encouraging you to mark that on your calendar because it's for everybody in our church. Even if you're not yet a member of our church, uh, you should come to that because it tells you what things we're wanting to accomplish in the next 10 years. Uh, so it's a very important time for our church or those who are interested in our church. The following week, November 13th, is our annual celebration dinner. And as the name suggests, it is a dinner and a celebration. It's a celebration of another year of God's grace to our church. And we have that dinner, but we also have a time of testimony from the congregation. That would be you. And I encourage you over this next month to be thinking about how God has worked in your life over the past year and share that as an encouragement at the celebration dinner. Last thing is November 20th is our next baptism. And baptism is something Jesus commands for all of his followers. If you've never been baptized, then uh, you may well be disobeying Jesus. Uh, because uh, he says to do that. If you claim to be his follower, then you need to have been baptized. Now, if you don't know what all that entails or why he requires it, that's what we're here to do to help you with that. To get that process started, go to the Information Center desk before you leave today. There's a one-page sheet that is an application. It has some questions on it. If you don't know the answer to the questions, that's okay. Just put your name on there and contact information. I'll get with you, and then we'll go from there, okay? All right, today, page 11 in Parenting with Purpose. If this is not the class that you want to be in, parenting, we have uh, two other classes going on right now. One is for our young adults, 18 to 25. That's the Crossroads class. But then for uh, the rest of our adults who, for whatever reason, aren't interested in parenting, you've already raised your kids, you've already given up on your kids, whatever it is, then out that door and across the hall, there's a class on 2 Corinthians that Dr. Combs is teaching. So it won't hurt my feelings if you get up and go to go to that class. But this one is, as you see on the screen, Parenting with Purpose. Today is lesson five of ten in the Parenting with Purpose series. And in the first four, we have seen uh, that God has given the home, God has given the family to be a learning community, a sociological community, and a redemptive community. Those three things. A learning community, it is in the context of the family and real life, not fake life, where we put on airs, whether at church or at work, but real life where people see you as that you really are and they you see them as they really are. Then that brings things out that God uses for us to learn about him, about ourselves, and about others. 
And it is a sociological community because it requires that we learn social skills, that we learn uh, how to behave toward one another, how to defer to other to other people, how to handle conflicts that will inevitably arise. So the family serves as a learning community, a sociological community, but then thirdly, a redemptive community, because since all of the people involved in this family are sinners, then it is without question going to be the case that there will be sins committed against one another, and that requires reconciliation, that requires forgiveness, that requires redemption. So in the first uh, two lessons after that, we had that introductory lesson, then lessons two and three, uh, we looked at communication, what the Bible says about how to communicate with one another in an edifying way. That's so that we can engage in this redemption that is needed in all relationships, including our home relationships. Last week in lesson four, we started the process of looking at roles within the family, and we began with the role of the husband and father. Men. So guys, if you were here last week, you know that we got beat up uh, in that lesson last week. But I told you, come back this week because we will try to beat up the wives this week. In the top of page 11, lesson 5, you see it says a word to the wives. Now these lessons on the purpose for the family, the roles within the family are, as you see at the top, section 1, foundational to parenting. These are things that we need to have a solid grasp of and put into practice in order for us to do the practical work of raising our children. Raising our children in, if you're blessed with a two-parent home, requires harmony among the, the two parents, and it requires that each, the husband and the wife, know their role and conscientiously uh, seek to fulfill it. So that's why I'm spending this time on these foundational issues, but then we will have section two, which is more uh, hands-on practical about raising our children through the three phases of life that they go through from zero to 18. So today, page 11, a word to the wives. In the top there I say, lesson four last week touched on the necessity of order in any relationship. The God-ordained order of the home places the wife in submission to her husband. Many sinfully respond to this clear command, and we're going to see that it's a clear command, but do so due to, one, direct rebellion against God's design, or two, a failure to understand what it really is, or three, fear of what it will mean, what its consequences will be. So this lesson is going to explore this basic requirement for a godly life. The basic requirement for men is to lead their wives lovingly. That's what we in a nutshell, saw last week. And the basic requirement uh, for the uh, wife is to help her husband do that and place herself under that requirement that God has given to him so that she can uh, it help advance that cause, that purpose within their, within their home. Now, it says here very clearly, as you see, Ephesians 5, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, Submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Yikes, ladies. Uh, Doesn't sound fun. Depending on what you think about what submission is. And certainly in our culture, just reading that, if I were just reading that and without any explanation, I just read that, 
directly from God's word in a secular setting and I would be booed. I may get attacked. So this is something that requires understanding on our part, requires explanation on my part. So I'm going to attempt to to do that and go through what biblical uh, submission is. So next to, you see there, biblical submission. If you care to, you might write, here's what submission is. Submission is to place yourself under someone or something. That's what submission is, to place yourself under someone or something. That's what the word submit means in the New Testament, to place under someone or something. We get English words, other English words out of that, submarine. So a submarine is under the water. Subway is under the road. And so when you see sub, it's under. Submerge goes under the water. Submit is to place oneself under someone or or something. And in this case, wives submitting to their husbands, it's place yourself under then the leadership of your of your husband. Now that raises all kinds of questions then. And that's what the word means to place yourself under your husband and his leadership. But it raises a lot of questions and we need to deal with what it's not. And that's why I say here negatively stated. This is what it's not and then we'll see positively what it is. What it's not is only for women. That submission in the Bible is not just given to females. In the case of the home, it is the wife who submits to the the husband. But submission is dealt with in a number of passages in the Bible. And it applies uh, in certain realms to all of us. All of us have spheres in which we are to, to submit. And here are some verses listed that tell you that. Ephesians 5.21 is the verse that we have just above. And it's that first line. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it says wives. So submission is for a larger group than just wives. The next verse starts with wives, but if you were to go on and read into chapter 6 of Ephesians, you would see that it not only deals with the home, but it also deals with employment. Back in those days, it was masters and slaves, and it's slaves, submit yourselves to your masters. So when verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, it's a heading That says there are all of these different spheres in which submission and authority take place. One of those is in the home, but there's also the workplace, masters and slaves. Uh, There is also children to parents, Ephesians 6 goes on to say. So it is not just, it is not just uh, for women. One. And it is not just the wives who are to submit. There's actually a sense in which the husbands men that we submit as well. And so how so? How can both of you be submitting? How can that work? Well, here's here's how. Last week we looked at the role of the husband and I spent some time looking at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. 1 Peter 3:7. So I remind you of that if you turn if you were to if you want to go back and I hear that again, or if you weren't here, all of our messages are on our website, but we have the notes for you in the prior pages. First Peter 3, 7, and it says, In the same way, husbands, 
Live with your wives in a considerate way. Be considerate in the way you live with your wives. And I explained then that being considerate doesn't mean just being kind. Of course, we should do that. It doesn't mean just being polite. It means to consider. The word that's translated considerate is to think about. In fact, in the King James Version, it says, Husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. That is, get to know your wife. So in the NIV, which is the translation we're using here, New International Version, when it says, uh, Husbands, live with your wives uh, in a considerate way, it means consider, think about, consider this. Think about these things about your, your wife. Go to school on who your wife is so that you can better serve her. All right, we saw that last week. But that first phrase in that verse, 1 Peter 3, 7, is in the same way. In the same way, husbands live with your wives in a considerate way. That then raises a question, in the same way as what? Verse 7 starts out, in the same way. In the same way as what? Well, the prior six verses in 1 Peter chapter 3 are about wives. And again, it talks about wives submitting to their their husbands there, just like in Ephesians 5 here. And it has a, a number of things to say about wives and inner beauty and so on. But it starts in verse 1 with that same phrase, in the same way. So you got in the same way twice in chapter 3. You got it in, chap- in verse 7, husbands in the same way, in the same way as what? In the same way as the wives. And if you go back to verse 1, you've got wives in the same way. Well, now that raises in the same way as what? That takes you back to chapter 2. And if you go back to chapter 2 in First Peter and verse 13, it says, submit to the governing authorities. So it starts this whole long section that culminates in wives and husbands, but it starts back actually in chapter 2, starting about submission in the governmental realm, submission to governing authorities. All of us as citizens are to submit to the governing authorities, place ourselves under. Then it goes on in verse 18 of chapter 2 to talk about submitting in the, in the work environment, in employment. Again, they're using masters and slaves. And then you come to chapter 3 in the same way, wives, submit to your husband, the same way as what? In the same way that in the work realm, You have a boss or you have somebody who's in charge. And in the same way, in the political realm, in government, you have someone who runs the government. In the same way as all of that, and as you get down to chapter 3 and verse 7, it says, husbands, in the same way. Now, it doesn't in verse 7, as we saw last week, use the word submit, but it does have that phrase. In the same way as all of these other spheres in which submission, placing under, occurs, guys, you're to do this, we're to do this as well. So how? How do I place myself under my wife if I'm supposed to be the one leading? And I suggest to you that given what the Bible tells us, men, about lovingly leading our wives and our families, that we can and must place ourselves under our wives and actually our children. But it's not under the authority of our wives and children. It's under the needs of our wives and children. 
Because we are called to love our wives as Christ loved the church and to lovingly lead them, then I can and must in the same way submit to them, but I submit to them by knowing what their needs are and putting their needs before mine, placing myself under that. And that then is why the Bible tells us, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So there's no way a Christian man who's trying to follow the Bible can say, hey, I'm in charge. You're to follow me. I get to do whatever I want. I just make the rules. You just follow. Them. No. In, in, in ordering the home and leading the home, I'm to do that by placing myself under the needs of my wife and our children if God has given us, given us children. So it's not only for women. To place yourself under someone, in the case of the wives, that's in the home, place yourself under your husband. In the case of the husbands, it's placing yourself under something. And the something is the needs of our family, our wives and our children. We also have listed for you there Philippians 2, 3, and 4. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But, it says in love, prefer others. Defer to others before yourselves. Put others before you. Romans 13.1 is about governmental submission, just like 1 Peter 2.13 is. And then Hebrews 13.17 is a church context. And it says there to submit to your leaders in the, in the church. So you see here, you got all these realms. You got the, you got work, you've got government, you've got the church, and yes, you've got the home, and further, All of us have a role of submission to play, whether it's submission to someone in leadership or submission to others and their and their needs. That's what it's not. It's not only for women. It is also not slavery. You know, uh, masters were permitted to physically beat their slaves. And to force them into submission Um, biblical submission in the home is not that Uh, clearly a man cannot love his wife as christ loved the church and then beat her into into submission it does not involve uh, physical abuse in any way and if there is physical abuse that's happening in your home then you need to leave and if uh if you are afraid there are organizations uh, that help you whisk you and your children out of a dangerous situation, give you a place to stay where nobody knows where it is, and the people who stay there are sworn not to say where it is uh, because it's that secretive and it's that important to be secretive if someone is in danger. So my considered counsel to you is if you are in danger, if you're in physical danger, you leave. And I have counseled women to do that over the years. Uh, and I'm counseling you to do that if you find yourself in that situation. And if you don't know how to go about it, then contact me. And I will put you in contact with the people who can help you get out of, out of there. So it is not slavery. It certainly does not involve physical abuse. And I'll just say to the men, and I'll move on here. But men, there are few things worse than a man who intimidates his wife and children. And uh, you, are not, you are not a man if you do that. You're a coward. And, you know, I'm not, 
I'm not a, a UFC guy, so I'm not an ultimate fighting kind of champion kind of guy. But frankly, I would much rather you take on you know me or one of the men here than your wife and your children. You know, to put it another way, you know, mess with somebody your own size. I mean, if you're really going to throw your weight around, then do that. And you think about how God views that and how God views a wife who, as we saw last week, God calls the weaker vessel. And she's cowering and she's worried about what you're going to do. And she's worried about what you're going to do to her. And she's worried about what you're going to do to those precious children. You know, God, Jesus talks very directly about those who harm what he called the least of these. You harm the least of these. Jesus says it's better for you to have a millstone around your neck and cast into the sea to be dead. That's Jesus talking. Than to harm one of these little vulnerable ones that have been entrusted to you. So men, if you are doing that, you need to confess and you need to repent and you need to do so right away. And you may not physically lay your hands on your wife or your children, but if you intimidate them, you scare them, then you are not using the authority that God has given you for the purpose for which he gave it, to lovingly lead your family. All right, number three, it is not only for women, it's not slavery, it's not passive resignation. That is, many get the idea that if you submit, then you are just someone who's completely passive, a doormat, whatever you say, honey, idea. And the passages that are listed there, Proverbs 31, 26, Proverbs 31, which we actually have the entirety of from Proverbs 31.10 to verse 31 about the virtuous woman. Many of you have read that. But the qualities of that woman are amazing. And in verse 26, it says she speaks with wisdom and instruction is on her lips. So she's not a wallflower. That's the point. She talks. <laughs> she speaks up. She not only speaks up, she speaks up with wisdom. This wisdom should be Heeded and taken into consideration. And she instructs. She teaches. So the virtuous woman is not passive. She's certainly not a doormat. And the husband who is wise in his leadership will use the counsel of, of his wife on the decisions that need to, the decisions that need to be made. Acts 18.26 mentions a couple, a godly devoted couple named Priscilla and Aquila. Now, I said it in that order, Priscilla and Aquila, because that's the order it's in. And if you know anything about when names are given in the Bible, the order is significant. In the case of Priscilla and Aquila, at least for a period of time, she was, uh, she was considered the leader. She was considered the more godly among the two. And she was not passive, passive at all. She was very active in the ministry that she and Aquila, her husband, were able to have. They opened up their home for a church meeting. They taught Apollos the way of Christ. And she was very involved and actively involved in that. So it's not passive resignation. And fourthly, it's not inferiority. Luke 2.51 says Jesus, as a boy, obeyed his parents. He submitted himself to the authority of his parents. Well, Jesus is God. 
He's not inferior to Ma- Mary and Joseph, but he still sub- he still submitted himself to them. First Corinthians eleven three is listed there. As God the Father is the head of Christ, it says man is the head of the woman. But notice, God the Father is the head of of Christ, is the head of Jesus. So you have God the Father and you have God the Son. They are equal in terms of who they are, God, but they are not equal in terms of what they do. God the Father is the head of God the Son. And Jesus says many times that I've come to do the will of him who sent me. I submit myself to the will of the Father. So he's equal with the Father, but at the same time he submits himself to the Father. And the same thing then is true for men and women. Men and women are equal in who they are. They are fully human, each of us, and fully made in the image of God and have equal standing before God. But in the roles that we've been assigned, God has given us different roles to play. And God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit have the same thing. We have Genesis 1 listed for you there and Galatians 3. Genesis 1, first chapter of the Bible, when God creates humanity on the sixth day of creation, he makes them alone among all the creatures that he he made in his image. Male and female, it says in those verses, he created them in his image. So man and woman both created equally in the image of God. And then Galatians 3.23, or 3.28, in Christ, there is neither slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, male nor female. That's what it says. There's neither male nor female. That is, in Christ, we are equal in our standing before him. So we are equal in the way we are created, and we are equal in our standing before God in our salvation as those who have a relationship with Christ. So it is not inferiority. That's what it's not then. Here's what it is. It's voluntary as it relates to the husband. Probably the word I should have used is it's not automatic. So that's why you have commands for it. You have commands to submit, ladies, because it doesn't happen automatically. Um, and so it's it's... Um, it's something that you positively stated. It's something that you have to do. It is something that you have to intentionally do. And it is mandatory as it relates to God. That is, it is automatic submission is to God. Now, you say, wait a minute, isn't that what sin is? People not submitting to God? That's true. But even people who rebel against God are still in submission to God. They are still under God. And all of them will be forced in the future to be under God uh, in the future as well. But it is continuous. It is written in such a way, the verb submit is written in such a way, just as we saw last week, men, the verb to consider your wives is written in a way that it's something we do uh, continuously. Same thing for submitting. So it's not something that I do once. And then say, I did that, been there, done that. It's a, it's a manner of life in our relationship, ladies, with the, with the husband. Top of page 12, it is a spiritual matter. Why are we to submit to one another? Well, on the previous page from Ephesians 5, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this is not just a practical arrangement. You know, let's have this arrangement where the men run things and are, are charged with loving leadership and the women to to help them in that task. We don't do that just because it's practically a good arrangement. Now, if you do it right, it practically is a good arrangement. But it is actually a spiritual matter. We do it out of reverence for Christ. 
When we submit to this, we are in turn submitting to Christ. And to put it another way, if we fail to submit to this, we're failing to submit to Christ. So it is a spiritual matter, ladies, for us to do this, just like men. It's a spiritual matter for us as to whether or not we lovingly lead. It is, fifthly, beneficial. It certainly does practically help the man in the work that God has assigned to him if he has a wife who is pulling in his direction, not in an opposite direction. So if we are pulling in the same direction and she is acting as his helper, and we will see that's the very name that God gives to the wife in Scripture. If she is doing that, then it, of course, is beneficial not only for her, for the husband, but also for the children as well. It involves, sixthly, actions and attitudes. So it's not just, I do it and I do it with a tood, but rather, I do it with a, with, a, with a proper attitude. We've got some verses listed for you there. John four thirty four. Jesus says this, My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus' desire, his craving, is to actually do the will of him who sent me. And then you've got Proverbs thirty one thirteen. It says that this virtuous woman works, I'm quoting, works with eager hands. So she doesn't just go through the motions to get the stuff done. She does so eagerly. And then Ephesians 5.33 says this, ladies, you're to respect your husbands. Yikes. See, that has to do with attitude. That has to do with how you go about this submission. To respect your husband. Now, I'll deal with a little bit later, what if he's not respectable? Um, so just hold that. But it says in Ephesians 5.33, wives, respect your husbands. And then lastly, it's extensive because the passage says, wives, submit to your husbands in everything. Now, you have to have a qualifier there. When we say in everything, it doesn't mean you follow your husband in harmful things. You follow your husband in sinful things. So there are qualifiers to that because the rest of Scripture teaches that there are times where you have to say, no, I'm not going to do this in certain authority submission realms. Here's an example. Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. Acts 5, 29. The apostles are told, do not preach the gospel. Do not preach in Jesus' name in Jerusalem. Well, of course, they can't obey that, can they? Now, the people who told them to do that were legitimate authorities. So you have, on the one hand, these passages that say, submit yourselves to the governing authorities. So a case could be made that, well, they're the governing authorities. I'm supposed to submit to that. And so they tell me not to preach. We don't preach. But these commands to submit are never absolute if they ask you to do something contrary to what God has said. Doing something that would defy another command of God is certain is something that you wouldn't obey. If a husband tells you you can't go to church, God says you gather with God's people. And so you disobey that. Now, the Bible doesn't say that you have to have gatherings on Wednesday. It doesn't say you have to have gatherings on Sunday evening. It says on the first day of the week, God's people gather together. So if your husband is not a believer, 
or if he's somebody who claims to be a believer but just doesn't live like it, and he doesn't want you hanging around with all those church people because you're getting all churchy, then you don't have to go on Wednesday. You don't have to go on Sunday night, but God says God's people gather together on the first day of the week. So that would be an occasion where a woman would not follow the dictates of dictates of her, her husband. Now, on this issue of respectability and um, following my and following my husband. Remember I mentioned first Peter chapter two and chapter three. And it's got all of these spheres in which authority and submission take place. You've got government, you've got the workplace, and you've got the home. In the workplace, in first Peter chapter two, when it talks about slaves submitting to their masters, here's what it says. That you are to submit yourselves to your masters, and then it says this, I'm quoting. Not only those who are kind and considerate, but also those who are harsh. So you got a jerk of a boss at work. Don't raise your hand. You know, some of our people in here work for people in here, so. So don't raise your hand. But, you know, we've all had jerk bosses. But I'm to submit and to be respectful in that submission, First Peter 2 goes on to say to slaves, and not only to those who are kind and considerate, but even to those who are harsh. So this person is in a position that God has ordained and I am to submit to. And it's not pleasant working for a jerk, is it? And you may be in a marriage where it's not pleasant as well. And so it's not then possible for you, if you're married to a jerk, to respect the person in their current state. But you can and you must respect the office that's created by, that's created by God. Now, if the person is this jerk, I think that's the last time I'll use the word jerk. You know, and they're not somebody who inspires confidence to follow them, and yet you're still supposed to follow them. Then one of the things you are rightly going to be concerned about is where are they going to lead? Where are they going to steer the ship? Where are we going to wind up? And if you were here during the first hour, I spent some time talking about that. That listen, the person you're ultimately submitting to is not the boss. It's not even ultimately your husband. Who is it? It's God. And unless you are in imminent danger, I already dealt with that, then you have to entrust to God what God is going to do and how God is going to honor your obedience, not to this jerk, last one, but to God. So this, is, this command to submit is given quite extensively, even to people who are not frankly worthy of it in their person, but because it's ultimately an obedience and a submission to God. All right, so that's biblical submission. And what's the wife's primary ministry then in doing that? Well, it is to her husband, according to Genesis chapter 2, where God instituted marriage. The reason that we, that Christian people who believe the Bible are big on marriage and not big on changing the definition of marriage is this. Because <laughs> God started marriage. God is the one who gave marriage. So it's not that you're a homophobe. 
It's that marriage is between a man and a woman. And we know this because God's the one who gave it. And to say it's something else then is to take what belongs to God and to abrogate it to ourselves. So Genesis 2 here, I remind you, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. So the problem is stated. It's not good for the man to be alone. And the reason I'm, you'll see the reason I'm pointing that out now. God says, here's the problem. He's alone. There's only Adam and it's not good. So the problem is stated, but then he says, God does, I will make a helper suitable for him. So the problem is stated and the solution is announced. I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. But then notice what happens next. You would expect that God then makes the woman, but that's not what happens next. What happens next is it says, now the Lord had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that's what was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So God says, the problem is stated. You're alone and that's not good. And I'm going to solve then the problem by giving you a woman suitable for you, a a helper suitable for you. But then he doesn't do that immediately. He says, but first I want you to do this. I want you to name all these animals. Now, why does God do that? Because God has objectively stated the problem. The man is alone and he needs a helper. And I'm going to provide the solution. He's objectively stated the problem. But he wants Adam to subjectively feel the problem. He wants Adam to feel it. He wants Adam to see that there is this problem. God sees it. God's going to provide for it, but he wants Adam to, to feel it as well. And how does he feel it? He, he comes two by two. Here come each, here come the animals, male and a female. And by the time, you know, he gets into this, he's going, wait a minute, what about me? All of these have a partner, and I don't have a partner. And that's why it then says, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So now God solves the problem. After Adam subjectively now feels the problem himself, the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, took the rib from the man, and he created the woman, and he brought her to the man. Men, our wives are a gift from God. Now, your wife is a sinful gift from God. And wives, your husband is a sinful gift from God. So not perfect, to state the obvious. But men, that's the way we're to see our wives. God brought the woman to the man. Think about that. God specially creates this creature now to correspond to the man. And God comes and says, I have made this for you. And Adam's response is to praise God. He kind of sings a song. This is now flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones. And she will be called woman because she came out of man. He's he's thrilled that God has done this. Men, we should be thrilled that God has given us this partner and we should treat her that way. And wives, we should do the same with our with our husbands. This is God doing this now. And woman's role is to be man's man's helper.
She is, the passage says, quote, suitable for his needs. Uh, That great theologian Rocky Balboa says to Adrian, you know, he says to uh, Adrian, uh, you know, Adrian, you got gaps and I got gaps, but together we ain't got no gaps. The idea is for her to complete him and for him to complete and him to complete her in the marriage relationship. And so she is suitable. She corresponds to him, we say here secondly, corresponds to him in this sense, in that she is his equal. She's his equal. The, the animals are not his equal. Nothing in all creation is his equal, except this woman. She's his equal. She's suitable uh, for him, and she corresponds to him in that she is human in the image of God. She has God-given abilities like he has, and so forth. Now, here are specific suggestions for the wife's ministry, and we've quoted Proverbs 31 in its entirety from verses 10 to 31 there. I'm not going to read that. But coming out of that, you get to page 13. And as you read through those verses in Proverbs 31, there are a number of things from there that you can pull out and also from other passages in Scripture. And we've got these 13 things for you here, ladies. Uh, As you read Proverbs 31, you find a a woman who has created a home where people want to be. Their children rise up and call her blessed. They want to be there. It's an atmosphere that you want to be in. So make the home a safe, and I would add a desirable place. I don't just mean physically safe, but a safe place to be emotionally. It's some place you want to be. Now, my dear wife is in Chicago as I speak. She's visiting her sister. So I can talk about her behind her back. Uh, But I love our home. I don't mean the house. I mean our home. And the truth is, Kim is what makes our house a home. Just hands down, she is the one who does that. She gives it that atmosphere that you want to be there. When I... I'm done here or I'm done at the hospital visiting somebody. It doesn't matter what it is. I look forward to being there. And I primarily look forward to being there because of her. She makes it that way. So ladies, work to make it a place where your husband and your children want to be. Now, there are a lot of ways that you could see that it's not a place where you want to be. If I walk in the door and she bombards me with stuff, I might take the long way home. In the words of those great theologians, Super Tramp. Which is exactly what that song is saying. You know, your wife seems to think you're part of the furniture. She's treating you like an inanimate object. You take the long way home. But if you've got a place where someone is is welcoming you, and has prepared for you, and cares about you, then you want to be there. Our girls want to be there as well. So make it a a, a safe and a desirable place. Be trustworthy and dependable, Proverbs 31 woman. In uh, the commitment you make, these are the things I'm going to do, and if you have the strength and the energy, and by God's grace, 
then you do them. A good attitude, being content, you know, that it would be the opposite of complaining about this hole that we live in and all the problems with it and all of that. Be content, long-suffering, and forgiving. I don't need to go through all these, but I do want you to go down at number 10. Cooperate with him in raising children. And again, I'm bragging on Kim here. We have a lot of ladies who now fit in the Titus 2 category in our congregation. You know what that means? Uh, the, the older women can teach the younger women. And Kim doesn't mind me calling her one of the older women now. We're in our 50s. Our children are grown. And now she's in a position to instruct younger women. So, And lots of other godly women here. Same thing, ladies. You have those ladies available to you to talk to and to learn from. But one of the things that Kim has always done for me is to help me, not hinder me, in raising our girls. Now, how could a wife hinder a husband in raising the kids? Well, she can second-guess what he does to the kids. If you undermine your husband to the kids, you're killing his ability to lead. You're killing it. Kim and I made a pact. We will never do that. If I disagree with something she did with the kids, the kids aren't going to know it. And if she disagrees with something I did with the girls, they're not going to know it. We're going to talk to each other about it. So she has never undermined me to the girls. And as a result, the girls respect me because Kim respects me. And she does that in front of them. And then secondly, building loyalty to him in the children. If you've got Tude, certainly if you say things about him and what an idiot he is, and I wish he would, and I don't know why he doesn't, then your kids are going to pick up on that. And it's going to be that much harder for him now to have respect in their eyes. And when the inevitable conflicts come, and I notice I say inevitable, That's one of the reasons you're an authority and you have to then discipline your children. We'll see that in weeks to come. One of the reasons you have to do that is because there are things you're going to tell your children to do that they don't want to do. Well, if you're telling them to do stuff they don't want to do in the context of a lack of respect for you, it's going to be all that much more difficult. So ladies, you can help or hinder your husband in his leadership by your attitude and your words about him in front of your children. And so rather than be at a detriment, be a, a helper to him in that most important issue. All right. We're done. We will pray and uh, we will continue next week. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for instructing us in the Bible about these good gifts that you have provided for the home. You've provided marriage, husbands and wives. You've provided instruction about what husbands and wives are to do. And you've provided roles for us to to play. But Lord, you've not only provided the words, the instruction, uh, ink on paper, the notes that I have here. These things come from you. These are principles derived from what you have said. But Lord, we need more than that. And you've provided it. You not only provide the directives, the commands, but you provide your spirit. 
You provide your people. You provide the means of grace in order for us to carry this out. Because, Lord, these dear ladies, uh, if they are sensitive at all to what you have called them to do, they feel the weight of what we have said today. And it is weighty. And it is beyond them. And the men from last week, Lord, we feel the weight of what you have instructed us to do in lovingly leading our families. And we are not up to the task. None of us is up to this task. So thank you, Lord, for not only telling us what to do, but thank you for empowering us to do it by your spirit, giving us your word and giving us your people to sharpen us and to encourage us in the journey. We ask you, Lord, to go with us now as we seek to serve you in the ways that we have learned today and to bring us back together next Lord's Day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.